sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on Daisy 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us on this gray and gloomy Tuesday morning. (laughs) And I'm sorry that you've come back to this weather, Councilwoman (laughs) Gonzalez. Um, We are on Facebook Live. Everybody there, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, If you are new to the show, this is uh, Tamina Talks Immigration. The show is only about immigration law, news updates, and anything related to immigration. Um, We are on air live at 10 a.m. every Tuesday and repeated um, Fridays at 8 p.m. When the show is aired on Friday, thereafter it will be on SoundCloud and our archived shows are on SoundCloud uh, slash Tamina Watson. Um, If you have any questions or comments, the number at the studio is 844-301-1250 and you can email us at contact at uh, desi1250am.com uh, if you don't have the app for the for the radio station, it's uh, Desi twelve fifty AM um, on the App Store, and you can live stream at www.desi twelve fifty AM dot com. If you have friends and family who um, would love to hear our guests speak, please make make sure they know that we are on air right now and we are on Facebook. So I want to say hi to our wonderful guest today. This is Councilwoman Lorena Gonzalez. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, thank you for having me. Good morning. This is uh, such a delight and we have so much to speak about, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about um, a news update from yesterday. And this is a subject matter that um, my office, uh, we've discussed it many times at my office, uh, that uh, when a child is born outside a wedlock, a mother can bring the child into the U.S. as a U.S. citizen, but a father could not. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to tell one of our fr- ask one of our friends, hey, you've got to bring a case against this issue. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, there was a case uh, pending at the Supreme Court, and it came out yesterday. And it was decided that, in fact, it is. Uh, you know, unfair to have one rule for fathers and one rule for mothers. And um, instead of giving uh, fathers the same rule as the mothers, where they had to wait less time than the fathers, they made it such that mothers had to wait longer because Congress has to make the change. Um, however, you know, it is still that uh, still good that this was acknowledged and it's going to hopefully change law. Um, and it's one thing that, you know, I've always wondered why, when everything is against women, this one thing was for women and it was, you know, we had a client who was affected. So mm-hmm. this is interesting. Uh, so if anybody's interested in the case, uh, you can find lots of news reports on the issue on the web. So if you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration. Thank you for so much for joining us. Uh, before I start talking with our wonderful guest here I want to introduce you all to her as one of um, two citywide representatives and the first person of Latino descent elected to serve the Seattle City Council, Council Member uh, Lorena Gonzalez is a nationally recognized civil rights leader and community advocate. As a civil rights attorney, she represented people who were victimized by those in authority positions. She primarily represented workers in wage theft and anti-discrimination cases, as well as representing victims of police misconduct. Born and raised in Washington's lower Yakima Valley to a Spanish-speaking 
working migrant work, uh, farm worker family. Councilwoman Gonzalez earned her first paycheck at the age of eight alongside her parents and five siblings. She relied on scholarships and worked three jobs to attend community college and later Washington State University. In 2002, she moved to Seattle to attend Seattle University Law School, where she graduated with honors in 2005. Since then, she has worked with foundational immigrant rights organizations like One America, El Centro, and Latino Victory Project to ensure Seattle is a welcoming city to all. In a year and a half in office, she spearheaded legislation to ban conversion therapy, create secure scheduling for low-wage workers, allocate $1 million for a legal defense fund for immigrants and refugees, facing immigration proceedings, and pass meaningful police reform. So, welcome. That's a lot for a short amount of time. (laughs) My goodness. I I, I like to keep myself busy. Well, you've certainly done that, (laughs) and you've really left an impact already on the the city of Seattle, and we're so grateful. And so grateful that I have a chance to speak with you one-on-one on on air, so our listeners, who perhaps don't know the extent of what you've been doing, um, will now be enlightened. So, did you anticipate immigration being such an important topic um, once you got into office? Um, I... I think, you know, for me, it's always been a priority to uh, work on issues impacting immigrants and refugees throughout our city, largely because I come from an immigrant family myself. And um, for me, it was really important to make sure that I lived those values and brought those lived experiences into my policymaking. Now, of course, with the um, administration that we now have in the White House, those issues have come into greater focus and are much more important and are, I think, nationally and certainly locally getting a lot more attention um, than than before. And I'm just so, so uh, happy to be able to be in the position that I'm in now to be able to create uh, as much impact as I can at the local level to protect and defend our immigrant refugee communities. Well, we're very, very, very grateful because I think your background and all the work you've done up to this point has really made you such an effective voice for immigrant and refugees. So thank you for what you've been doing. What are the things that you're hearing on the immigration front? Um, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of different facets to it. I mean, obviously, we continue to track what is coming out of the federal administration in terms of, um, you know, uh, interpretation of executive orders from the Department of Homeland Security, um, new rules related to um, to ICE raids or interpretation of immigration rules, and really, you know, sort of thinking about sort of how do those federal policies effectively trickle down into our communities and create impact in our communities, both real impact in terms of how changes in rules and laws are going to Uh, affect legal proceedings and immigration proceedings for our community members, but also the fear that that causes, right? Even if it's, even if it doesn't actually result in an impact in a legal case, because you don't have one right now, Mm -hmm. the fear that the rhetoric creates, that the language creates, that the rule changes creates are um, having a devastating impact on our immigrant refugee communities, including, you know, children not, not going to school, um, people not going to work. These are real life uh, impacts that our community um, continues to feel as a result of what they are hearing coming out of um, uh, out of this administration. Yeah, there are there are real um, 
adverse you know situations going on and I'm on um, the diversity committee of a school district and we hear that some parents are you know not signing up for their children's mm-hmm. you know lunches and so forth right. because then you might be considered right. taking public charge mm-hmm. or you might be a public charge and mm-hmm. then that makes you deportable right so there is a lot of fear so you have spearheaded a bill that has become law and it creates a legal defense fund for one million dollars how did that come about um, well, you know, I think my office started uh, exploring the possibility of looking at setting up this kind of a fund um, before the end of the year and after the the election. It's interesting when you think about um, this legal legal defense fund. So in our criminal justice system, you if you are accused of a crime, you have the legal right, a constitutional right to have a lawyer provided to you for free if you cannot afford one. Um, And that's because we recognize that under the Constitution of this country, you have what are called due process rights that um, allow you to defend yourself when your life liberty uh, is at stake. Uh, You know, immigration proceedings, they are civil in nature for the most part. There are very limited number of immigration cases, as you know, that are criminal in nature. But most of them, vast majority, civil cases. Mm -hmm. You're still, you still have life and liberty at risk in in these immigration cases. Uh, And you have a constitutional right to due process. However, and you also have a right to be represented by legal counsel. But the missing piece there is that you do not have a legal right to have a free appointed pro se legal counsel to you in your case. In contrast to the federal government, who is represented by an experienced, skilled immigration lawyer mm-hmm. 100% of the time. Uh, and in our court system, when we started digging in to the statistics some more, we learned that in Seattle uh, Immigration Court, um, about 63% of the people were not, uh, excuse me, uh, were not represented by by lawyers. That's a huge number of people. That's that's about one out of every three people um, that um, that that needs you know that doesn't have legal representation. That's a huge number. Huge number in Tacoma courts, um, which again you know could could also be processing people from Seattle. 92% of people in our Tacoma court systems do not have any legal representation. Wow. And what we have lear- what we learned from looking at other cities and jurisdictions that have done this type of work is that uh, people are likely they, they stand a 10 and a half times uh, more likelihood chance of being able to remain in the country and winning their case when they have a lawyer. And so um, you know I, I came to this work with an understanding that, uh, unfortunately, I can't commit to the community that I can stop these immig- these harsh enforcement of these immigration laws from occurring and taking place. But what I can do is I can find some city resources to be able to provide the legal support on the back end that a lot of these families are going to need in order to have the best fighting chance mm-hmm. that they can have to defend themselves and try to stay in this country and, and remain part of this community and remain part of um, their family unit. And and so the, the what we did is we, we, we came up with what we thought the need would be, at least mm-hmm. initially, mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is how we came up with the $1 million in consultation with community-based organizations like the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, who helped us understand a little bit more about the depth of the need mm-hmm. uh, and how much each, each case would cost and mm-hmm. what we could get. Mm-hmm. and. 
Um, and we modeled it after some best evidence, best standards, evidence-based strategies that we have seen used in other places. And Fantastic. that's how we ended up with where we're at now. Fantastic. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration with Seattle Councilwoman Gonzalez talking about the Legal Defense Fund that she helped uh, pass. Uh, and it's actually going into effect this month. Um, it actually was signed into law already, and so it is it is the law of the land, as Fantastic. they say in the city of Seattle. What we're doing now is we are we are setting up a, a competitive request for proposal process. Uh, the the money will be um, uh, likely infused into community by the end of summer, and so between June and middle of June and um, end of June early July, we will be, as a city, going through the competitive bidding process um, to evaluate which community-based organizations are best suited to deliver these legal services uh, to to people who really who really need it. So hopefully by the end of the summer, um, we'll, we'll be able to see that money infused into community. It's really important for folks to understand that this Legal Defense Fund is, is it's not direct giving to, to an individual or a family who needs legal services or a lawyer. The money will go to community organizations who will then hire lawyers and those lawyers will then be available to um, to people who need legal services. And there is part of the funding will include what we're calling legal navigators. Okay. Um, so that, you know, in recognition of the fact that our community accesses mm-hmm. uh, legal services and power systems very mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. we thought it would be really important to have just a, uh, somebody who is at a reputable organization who can say, who can identify, oh, you have a legal issue. We know what services to connect you with. Got it. Here's, here's where you can go to get a lawyer under the city's legal defense fund. Okay, well, that's um, very interesting. And people who are watching this space, um, you know, at least they'll know that they are looking at end of summer for this. Mm-hmm. Now, can we, if we can be brief about this, because, you know, I know this, this answer is going to be a long one. What's the, <laughs> what's the process of a bill? Because, you know, it can't be easy to have an unprecedented bill passed sure. in Seattle, particularly mm-hmm. when there are so many competing priorities going on. Um, how did you make it happen? Um, I think I think you know we we worked very collaboratively with with Mayor Ed Murray and this is an area that he has a lot of interest in as well and I approached him um, early in advance and his executive team and 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 really said you know I think this is something where we should partner up and we should work together to both identify the funds that's step number one mm-hmm. is how are you going to pay mm-hmm. uh, for the for for this these services and then step two is really just getting down to the nitty gritty of drafting the language of the law. And, and and educating my fellow council members who ultimately have to vote mm-hmm. and pass this on why this is important and why there is a need. This is what the identified need is, and this is how we can uh, play a role at the city level. Um, it, it was, it, you know, and, and part of that obviously also includes getting folks from community to come in and testify during public testimony about why this is so important and why the city should be playing this role. You know, it's very interesting for me because, you know, I'm, I, I'm leading a committee through AILA and, you know, a lot of a- AILA lawyers were very supportive and we all went and it was my first time being at a city council <laughs> hearing to see a full house, you know, for, you know, chock up. There was no place to sit and to actually have um, give testimony. So that was a, a very neat experience. Yeah. But and it's th- really important having those community voices, particularly mm-hmm. from people who provide legal services, yeah. who know those human stories. 
stories yeah. is it's really relevant to the work we do. I wasn't even sure that it would get I wasn't sure what would happen next yeah. and then it was like you were voting right then. <laughs> so that just felt profound right there. Yeah. You know, we were yeah. watching history. Yeah. The, so the bill, uh, so the money, is it is it until it ends or how, what's the duration of the money? So we will have the money for uh, the remainder of this year and all of next year. So we have funding committed through 2018. Um, I, I'm going to continue to work on figuring out how we can create a sustainable source of funding. Obviously, um, uh, you know this, and maybe your listeners know this, that immigration cases can be very complex, and some of them can take um, you know, several months, and others can take up to a couple of years. And so we need to make sure that we can continue to fund these types of services um, to meet what the reality of the needs are for the community in terms of the length of cases and ongoing demand for um, for legal services, particularly in this political climate. Great. You know, so the listeners, before I stop talking about this legal defense fund, um, the one thing that the listeners might be thinking about is, can I qualify? And what are the requirements to qualify for this fund? The requirements to qualify for the fund is um, is you must either live or work in the city of Seattle and not be able to afford your own uh, to pay for your own attorney, it's it's that simple. Okay, um, we're going to rely on our on our expert immigration lawyers who we're going to fund to do the work to come up with the nuances of what other uh, filters are needed. But all you need to do is live or work in Seattle and not be able to afford to pay for your own. Fantastic. Lawyer. Well, I hope other cities in Washington State follow you, yeah. and I hope they call you for help and make it happen. Um, so I want to move on to a few other things that you've mm-hmm. been working on. You have worked tirelessly on a lot of non-immigration issues too, mm-hmm. and something that was rather big uh, in the last week or two um, was about police reform. Tell yep. us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, the city of Seattle. So I'm the chair of uh, the Safe Communities Committee. Um, and one of the things that, that I am responsible for is leading on the policy issues related to police uh, reform and public safety in general. And so since 2012, the city has been under a consent decree with the Department of Justice because there was an investigation and a finding that the city was engaging in unconstitutional policing by means of using excessive force. And there was also some significant concerns related to bias policing, in other words, racially profiling. Um, and we have made a lot of strides since then, um, in, in large part thanks to many police reform advocates and community organizations who've consistently pushed on reforming the police department in a meaningful way. Um, and as you mentioned a couple weeks ago, we took our final vote after having, um, I think, about 10 public hearings uh, on the bill and traveling across the country from L.A. to New Orleans to uh, New York City to learn from other jurisdictions who are coming out of consent decree processes. Um, so so we, we, after a ton of internal work that was both public-facing and uh, private-facing, uh, we're able to uh, land in a place with a police uh, reform accountability legislation package that is um, is being lauded across the country as a very innovative, creative way to um, to set up how a city uh, monitors its police officers when there is misconduct. And so it's it's work that I'm incredibly proud of that I couldn't have done without the support well, of so you. many in the community. And so I'm, 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 I'm excited to see um, the next steps in terms of implementing 
what we see in the in the bill. When do, when does it get implemented? Um, well, well, the implementation, the the court, there be certain aspects of the legislation that the court, who is supervising our uh, police reform efforts, will have to review and give us some. Uh, guidance in terms of whether or not we got it right or didn't. I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that uh, we got it right and that uh, we can continue to to move the charge forward. And of course, we have an obligation to engage in uh, collective bargaining with our police unions, which okay. we will continue to do to make sure that we um, follow state law. Okay. Well, so listeners who don't really know much about this, what would be mm-hmm. the f- top five headlines of this new innovative approach? Um, you know, I think the big one is that we have given community a um, meaningful, uh, large role in our oversight system. So, you know, before we had civilians, i.e. people who aren't cops, uh, doing and you know leading the departments that do investigations, doing audit work. Um, but now we have a community organization made up of 21 community members with uh, f- with full staff and resources to make sure that um, that these reform impl- these reforms um, are informed by how it is, community is perceiving them to oh, be good. Oh, uh, good. implemented good. and and you know in an era of, of Black Lives Matter and an era of um, incredible pol- tension between police and, and communities of color uh, including immigrant communities it's really important to make sure that those voices are being understood and accepted and that they're legitimized within mm-hmm. um, these big institutional <laughs> agency yeah. systems and and that's the that's probably the biggest most significant change in addition to creating an office of inspector general um, which will have uh, you know vast uh, auditing um, uh, abilities and and will be doing huge systems reviews. Fantastic. So if listeners wanted to learn a little bit more about this, where mm-hmm. can they go to learn? Uh, they can go to my website at okay. seattle.gov um, okay. and just look for my face and click on it. Okay. And you can, uh, you can find some more information about it. Fantastic. So we are running out of time. I know you are doing some more things on the immigration and there mm-hmm. are some events coming up. Do you want to tell the listeners about them? Yeah. So we have, um, we have a few different uh, workshops coming up. If you are interested in becoming a U.S. citizen, we are going to be uh, doing some citizenship workshops. Those are going to be held by the um, Office of Immigrant and Refugee um, Affairs. There's one that's going to be on uh, this Saturday, June 17th, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Rewa, and it'll be focused on the East African community, but of course, all languages are, are welcome to attend. There'll be another one on Saturday, uh, June 24th, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Chinese Information and Service uh, Services Center here in, um, here in both of those are, are here within the city of Seattle. And if people want uh, more information, want to register or have questions, they can call our Office of Immigrant Refugee Affairs hotline at 206-386-9090. Can you please repeat the number? Sure, it's 206-386-9090. Well, thank you so, so much. This was an enlightening discussion. And thank you so much for putting your heart and soul it's into my pleasure. all the things you're doing for the thank immigrant you. and refugee communities and to actually make a difference that is long lasting. Mm-hmm. This is not a difference just for today. It's a long lasting mm-hmm. difference that will help 
people who are affected but their children and their children and yeah. so forth so yeah. thank you thank for you. everything and thank you for being here on the show um, listeners and viewers um, you know thank you so much for joining us today we are running out of time uh, a huge thank you to Councilwoman Gonzalez for being here and for sharing so much uh, valuable valuable information if you want to know a lot more about what she's doing you can visit the website at seattle.gov and click on her photo um, <laughs> and learn a lot more about that. Please join us next week for more information on immigration. We will have a fabulous guest again. And if you have questions and comments, you know how to reach me. The website for my firm is watsonimmigrationlaw.com. You can call the studio at 844-301-1250 and you can email the studio at contact at am.com too. So thank you so much for tuning out. Bye-bye. Bye.